Chapter 16 of The Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 16 Welcome Home. We are so unlike each other, thou and I, that none would guess. We were children of one mother, but for mutual tenderness. E.B. Browning. After the first tumult of greeting, in which affection was expressed rather by look and gesture than by word, the brothers sat down and talked. Eager questions rose to the lip of both, but especially those of Carlos, whose surprise at Juan's unexpected appearance only equaled his delight. But you are wounded, my brother, he said. Not seriously, I hope. Oh, no, only a bullet through my arm, a piece of my usual good luck. I got it in the battle. No adjective was needed to specify the glorious day of St. Quentin, when Flemish Egmont's chivalrous courage, seconded by Castilian bravery, gained for King Philip such a brilliant victory over the arms of France. Carlos knew the story already from public sources, and it did not occur to Juan, nor indeed to Carlos either, that there had ever been, or ever would be again, a battle so worthy of being held in everlasting remembrance. "'But do you count the wound part of your good luck?' asked Carlos. Ay, truly, and well I may. It has brought me home, as you ought to have known ere this. I received but two letters from you, that written on your first arrival and dated from Cambrai, and that which told of your notable prize, the French prisoner. But I wrote two others. One I entrusted to a soldier who was coming home invalid. I suppose the fellow lost it. The other, written just after the great St. Lawrence's day, arrived in Sevilla the night before I made my own appearance there. His Majesty will need to look to his posts. Certes, they are the slowest carriers to be found in any Christian country. And Juan's merry laugh rang through the convent parlor. Little enough used to echo such sounds. So I have heard almost nothing of you, brother, save what could be gathered from the public accounts. Carlos continued. All the better now. I have only such news as is pleasant for me to tell and will not be ill, I think, for thee to hear. First, then, and in due order, I am promised my company. Good news indeed! My brother must have honored our name by some special deed of valor. Was it at St. Quentin? asked Carlos, looking at him with honest brotherly pride. He was not much changed by his campaign, except that his dark cheek wore a deeper bronze, and his face was adorned with a formidable pair of bigotes. That story must wait, returned Juan. I have so much else to tell thee. Dost thou remember how I said, as a boy, that I should take a noble prisoner like Alfonso Vives and enrich myself by his ransom? And thou seest I have done it. In a good day. Still he was not the Duke of Saxony. Like him, at least, in being a heretic or Huguenot, if that be a less unsavory word to utter in these holy precincts. Moreover, he is a tried and trusted officer of Admiral Colony's suite. It was that day when the admiral so gallantly threw himself into the besieged town, and, for my part, I am heartily obliged to him. But for his presence there would have been no defense of St. Quentin to speak of at all. But for the defense, no battle. But for the battle, no grand victory for the Spains and King Philip. We cut off half of the admiral's troops, however, and it fell to my lot to save the life of a brave French officer whom I saw fighting alone against a crowd. He gave me his sword, and I led him to my tent, and provided him with all the solace and succor I could, for he was sorely wounded. He was the Sieur de Ramonet, a gentleman of provenance, 
and an honest, merry-hearted, valiant man, as it was ever my lot to meet withal. He shared my bed and board, a pleasant guest rather than a prisoner, until we took the town, making the admiral himself our captive, as you know already. By that time his brother had raised the sum for his ransom, and sent it honorably to me. But, in any case, I should have dismissed him on parole as soon as his wounds were healed. He was pleased to give me, beside the good gold pistols, this diamond ring you see on my finger, in a token of friendship. Carlos took the costly trinket in his hand and duly admired it. He did not fail to gather from one simple narrative many things that he told not, and was little likely to tell. In the time of action, chivalrous daring, when the conflict was over, gentleness and generosity no less chivalrous, endearing him to all, even the vanquished enemy. No wonder Carlos was proud of his brother. But beneath all the pride and joy there was, even already, a secret whisper of fear. How could he bear to see that noble brow clouded with anger, those bright confiding eyes averted from him in disdain? Turning his own thoughts as if they had been guilty things, he asked quickly, But how did you obtain leave of absence? Through the kindness of his highness. The Duke of Savoy? Of course, and a braver general I would never ask to serve. I thought it might have been from the king himself when he came to the camp after the battle. Don Juan's cheek glowed with modest triumph. His highness was good enough to point me out to his Catholic majesty, he said, and the king spoke to me himself. It is difficult for us to understand how a few formal words of praise from the lips of one of the meanest and vilest of men could be looked upon by the really noble-hearted Don Juan Alvarez as almost the crowning joy of his life. With the enthusiastic loyalty of his age and country, he honored Philip the King, Philip the man being all the time a personage as utterly unknown to him as the Sultan of Turkey. But not choosing to expatiate on a theme so flattering to himself, he continued, The Duke contrived to send me home with despatches, saying kindly that he thought my wound required a little rest and care. Though I had affairs of importance, and here the color mounted to his brow. To settle in Sevilla, I would not have quitted the campaign with my good will, had we been about any enterprise likely to give us fair fighting. But in truth, Carlos, things have been abundantly dull since the fall of St. Quentin. Though we have our king with us, and Henry of France and the Duke of Guise have both joined the enemy, all are standing at gaze as if they were frozen and doomed to stay there motionless till the day of judgment. I have no mind for that kind of sport, not I. I became a soldier to fight his Catholic Majesty's battles, not to stare at his enemies as if they were puppets paid to make a show for my amusement. So I was not sorry to take leave of absence. And your important business in Seville? May a brother ask what that means? A brother may ask what he pleases, and be answered. Wish me joy, Carlos. I've arranged that little matter with Doña Beatrice. And his light words half hid half revealed the great deep joy of his own strong heart. My uncle, he continued, is favorable to my views. Indeed, I have never known him so friendly. We are to have our betrothal feast at Christmas when your time of retreat here is over. Carlos wished him joy. Most sincerely. Fervently did he thank God that it was in his power to do it, that the snare that had once wound itself so subtly around his footsteps was broken and his soul escaped. He could now meet his brother's eye without self-reproach. Still, this seemed sudden. He said, Certainly you did not lose time. Why should I? Twan, with simplicity. By and by is always too late, as thou wert wont to say, and I would they learn that proverb at the camp. In truth, he added more gravely, 
I often feared, during my stay there, that I might have lost all through my tardiness, but thou wert a good brother to me, Carlos. Mayest thou ever think so, brother mine? said Carlos, not without a pang, as his conscience told him how little he deserved the praise. But what in the world? asked Juan hastily. Has induced thee to bury thyself here amongst these drowsy monks? The brethren are excellent men, learned and pious, and I am not buried. Carlos returned with a smile. And if thou wert buried ten fathoms deep, thou shouldst come up out of the grave when I need thee to stand beside me. Do not fear for that. Now thou art come, I will not prolong my stay here, as otherwise I might have done. But I have been very happy here, Juan. I'm glad to hear it, said the merry-hearted, unsuspecting Juan. I am glad also that you are not in too great haste to tie yourself down to the church's service. Though our honored uncle seems to wish you had a keener eye to your own interest and a better lookout for your fat benefices, but I believe his own sons have appropriated all the stock of worldly prudence meant for the whole family, leaving none over for thee and me, Carlos. That is true of Don Manuel and Don Baltazar, not of Gonsalvo. Gonsalvo? He's the worst of the three! Juan exclaimed, with something like anger in his open sunny face. Carlos laughed. I suppose he has been favoring you with his opinion of me, he said. If he were not a poor, miserable weakling and a cripple, I should answer him with the point of my good sword. However, this is idle talk, little brother. Carlos being as nearly tall as himself, the diminutive was only a term of affection, recalling the days of their childhood, and more suited to masculine lips than its equivalent, dear. Little brother, you look grave and pale, and ten years older than when we parted at El Calca. Do I? Much has happened with me since. I've been very sorrowful and very happy. Don Juan laid his available hand on his brother's shoulder and looked him earnestly in the face. No secrets from me, little brother, he said. If thou dost not like the service of Holy Church after all, speak out, and thou shalt go back with me to France or to anywhere else in the known world that thou wilt. There may be some fair lady in the case, he added with a keen and searching glance. No, brother, not that I have indeed much to tell thee, but not now, not to-day. Choose thine own time. Only remember no secrets. That were the one unbrotherly act I could never forgive. But I am not satisfied about your wound, said Carlos, with perhaps a little moral cowardice, turning the conversation. Was the bone broken? No, fortunately, only grazed. It would not have signified but for the treatment of the blundering barber-surgeon. I was advised to show it to some man of skill, and already my cousins have recommended to me one who is both physician and surgeon, and very able, they say. Dr. Cristobal Lozada? The same. Your favorite, Don Gonzalvo, has just been prevailed upon to make trial of his skill. I am heartily glad of it, returned Carlos. There is a change of mind on his part equal to anywhere with he can reproach me, and a change for the better, I have little doubt. Thus the conversation wandered on, touching many subjects, exhausting none, and never again drawing dangerously near those deep places which one of the brothers knew must be thoroughly explored, and that at no distant day. For Juan's sake, for the sake of one whom he loved even more than one, he dared not, nay he would not, avoid the task, but he needed or thought he needed, consideration and prayer, that he might speak the truth wisely, as well as bravely, to that beloved brother. End of chapter 16